So my message this morning is called Rumor or Hearsay. And when I, was, when I opened up my Kindle and I saw the two or three messages I had on there, this is the one I picked for you. And the reason that I picked it is because of what, usually when I do a message, it's because of what's going on in my life right now. It's what is happening for me. And so this is from the book of Job. Now, I don't know if you've ever read through the book of Job, but you know that the first two chapters are this very lively sort of conversation between God and Satan, and you see what happens to Job, and it all happens very quickly. And then the rest of the book is this sort of monologues. It's, it's one person talking. It's Job. It's his friends. It's, it's all of that. And so we are going to actually, I'm going to kind of go through it very quickly, and we're going to sort of fast forward back to the very last chapter. But I do need to do a little setup for this. So when we hear, overhear this conversation as Satan and God have a debate about what's going to happen to Job, God's permission is given to Satan to try to shake Job's faith. And after God gives the go-ahead, Job's life is completely torn apart by the death of his children, the loss of his wealth and his health. And to add insult to injury, Job's wife, who didn't handle all of this very well at all, advises him to curse God and die. Not exactly comforting or understanding, not exactly the wife of the year, but it does get a little better because Job's three friends show up and they actually do an absolutely marvelous thing. They sit with him in silence and just mourn with him as he comes to grip with a new life. And the Bible said, no one said a word, for they knew that his suffering was too great for mere words. After the explanation we receive in these first two chapters, and we go to all the monologues, we see a second set of debates, really, and this time not between God and Satan, but between Job and his friends. Now, first up, Job expresses his confusion, asking questions, his, those why questions that we all have. Why was he born? Why did this happen? And Job does not pull his punches with God. He says, it is God himself who has wronged me. He says, God took me by the neck and dashed me to pieces. Pretty strong words. He set me up as his target. In another chapter, he says his complaint is bitter and he would like to argue with God. He laments that he can't find him. In response, his friends, Bildad, Eliphaz, and Shofar, present a lot of wonderful truths about God. They say that God is good, that he is powerful, that he blesses the good, and that he will ultimately publish or punish the wicked. And, but then they start to say he's got to stop quarreling with God and that he must have sinned. He must have done something terrible or this would never have happened. Now I'm going to quote from a Zoutervan's handbook, which has this to say about Job and his friends. Both Job and his friends have no assurance of a future life. For them, death is the end. So justice must be seen to be done here in this life. According to the theology of that day, prosperity was God's reward for good living, calamity his judgment on the sin of the wicked. Generally speaking, this is true. But his friends reduced a general truth to a rigid rule. If God is suffering, then he's got to be bad. 
He's got to be wicked. So with Job and his friends at an impasse, God intervenes and confronts Job with unanswerable questions, one after another after another. It's in the last few chapters of Job. And he asks him questions about the creation of the world, about matters great and small. He confronts him with who created the alligator, who created the snow, who created the wind. Do you know where that came from? And Job has no answer. So in chapter 42, the very last chapter, the author of Job abandons all the monologues, and we go back to the kind of narrative that we had at the very beginning. Here we hear Job's response after God challenges Job to explain the unexplainable. Now, I find something very interesting about this. It is God is talking to Job. He does not talk to the friends who are pretending to explain that they know all about God. He doesn't address those questions to the friends. He instead, he, is taught, he addresses his challenges to the man who challenged him. And I found this kind of puzzling because it seems to me that the, those three guys were actually trying to be helpful and they were explaining what they knew about God. And here's a quote I came across and I just loved this. Job is in a true relationship with God as the three friends are not. A relationship of heart and soul, of life or death, passion. God is infinite love, and the opposite of love is not hate, but it's indifference. Job's love is infected with hate. The three friends' love is infected with indifference. Job stays married to God and throws dishes. His friends have a polite non-marriage with separate bedrooms and separate vacations. The family that fights together stays together. Now, I will tell you that that's kind of something that I struggle with, but I will tell you that somebody that cares enough to say something to you that is hurtful or maybe a wake-up call for you, that's a true friend. It's somebody who cares about you. It is very easy to listen to somebody and just nod and go, uh-huh, uh-huh, and then walk away and go, they're crazy. That doesn't, the world doesn't work like that. It is much harder, and it is more of a relationship to speak the truth in love to people. Job answered God, I am convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one upsets your plans. You asked, who is this muddying the water, ignorantly confusing the issue, second-guessing my purposes? I admit it, Job says, I am the one. I babbled on about things far beyond me made small talk about wonders way over my head. You told me, listen, let me do the talking. Let me ask the questions. You gave the answers. I admit, I lived by rumors of you. Now I have it firsthand from my own eyes, my own ears. I'm sorry, forgive me, I'll never do that again. I promise I'll never again live on crusts of hearsay crumbs of rumors. My attention was caught when I read this in the message version. I will tell you that when I do a message, I try to read several different versions because I need to shake myself up. You get used to the way something is said, right? And you don't always think it all the way through. And I was caught by Job saying, I once lived by rumors of you. Now I teach Bible sometimes. And what I do is I have a trick that I use with my students. And I say to them, I'm from another planet. I have never heard this word rumors 
I don't know what it is. Can explain to me what rumors is. And if I asked you, maybe what you'd say to me is, well, it's what people say about somebody else. It's rarely the person that something is happening to that spreads the rumor. It is somebody who has heard something. It is secondhand. It is thirdhand. It is added to and, and blown up. You all have played the game telephone as children, right? <laughs> Rumors of you. Job says, I admit, I once lived by rumors of you, now I have it firsthand. Now, I don't think I quite get what Job got from all of God's challenges. I I probably don't. But what I do get is that somehow that conversation that God had with Job satisfied Job's why. Something about what God said settled him got him to calm, got him to trust, got him to feel closer to God in the midst of his suffering. I love Dola's little message. That's exactly it. Sometimes, although we don't like it, God breaks us. He takes us, he shakes us up. He, and, and right now, I believe he is shaking the world hard. And he is shaking it hard. And I think what he's trying to do is to get us beyond the why, to get us to the place where we accept that he is God and that he controls this and he knows each and every one of our lives. I often hear when this book is discussed that Job never knows about the debate between God and Satan, about the fact that God allows this to happen. This is true for all of us. Whether God is having a conversation with Satan about my life, or he is just talking to the angels, or it is just something that has been intended from the beginning of the world, I never get to know. I have had, I have lost a husband. I lost a daughter several years ago. I am actually up here in Rockford because a much-loved uncle of mine passed um, very healthy from two different kinds of cancer within two months of his diagnosis. And we all, we're all sitting there and we're going, why? When my daughter died at 36, I said, why? Why would you need this? Why would you need this? It is the relationship you have with God that makes it possible for us to live with the why. It is that and that alone that will sustain us through the hard times. I did not believe when I started this journey with God, and I'll just tell you really quickly, I always refer to myself as a recovering heathen. I will never have as much time in the kingdom as I had out of it. (laughs) It took me a long time to come to Christ. And I did not believe in a God who listened to me uh, or a God who would look at me. Neither did I believe, as some do, in a God who is angry or punishing truth to be known, an angry and punishing God would have been a vast improvement on the God I had going on in my head. Mine was a distant God. He was more of an accountant than he was a divine being. This was a God who watched what happened on earth with a disinterested benevolence, but no real involvement. I did not see him as loving and engaged. So I'm more like a heavily tinkerer who would sort of occasionally and whimsically rescue me from whatever mess I got myself into when I would beg 
in desperate prayer. I also saw him as equally able to stand back from me when I suffered and to watch me flounder around with bored detachment as I was confused and hurt and sad. I believed that I wearied him, bored him. I believed I disappointed him. I believed that if I didn't do as he wanted, if the errors were too bad, he would walk away. I have moved away from that. And I will tell you what moved me was the death of my husband, the death of my daughter, the death of my parents, the loss of my uncle. Each one of these tragedies, the the cancer I suffered a couple of years ago, each one of these have brought me closer in relationship to God. So I am not indifferent. I do not have this God anymore who does not know me and does not love me. He is with me in my suffering. He is with me in what goes on, and he has an answer that he does not always share with me. And probably because I couldn't handle the answer. And in his mercy, he keeps it to himself and says, walk with me, walk with me. So I have moved from that place of despair and kind of confusion to a place to consider that God, far from disinterested in my actions and responses, wishes to be engaged with me, wishes to have a relationship with me. I have moved to the place where I have had quite a few dish-throwing, angry conversations with my God. While I am aware, like Job's friends, of God's goodness in general, I do sometimes struggle with the specifics of the suffering, of the things that go wrong, of the things that break my heart. I have not had a huge aha like Job did. I have not. Mine has come in bits and pieces. It has come in watching my uncle, who is a man of faith, die in dignity with his family who loved him, surrounding him, with neighbors and employers and people calling. We had people show up on the doorstep, sobbing, handing over food and flowers and saying, I can't imagine a world without John in it. This was a man who lived a life of faith. Nothing grand, nothing big. He touched everybody's lives. One morning, I ran across a post on Facebook where someone posted a video of my daughter singing and walking. And I cried. I thought, oh, oh, they didn't forget her. And I heard God's voice in my heart say, I never, I never forget. I never forget. So no, my God who created the stars, who knows when each one of those stars dies, he has a name for all of those stars. He will never forget. I can trust him. I can trust him. That does not come from rumors or secondhand knowledge from somebody who is telling me about God or my assumptions about God based on how I was raised or what I heard in church when I was little girl. It doesn't come from that. It comes from experience of walking with him through the good times and the bad times. Each and every step, he is with me. Sometimes, in my pain, I sometimes think indifference would be better. <laughs> just, just so you know. Because <laughs> it's no fun, right? We don't like being sad. That's not how God wired us to be. But he is a God who gave his son to die for us. He is a God who knows suffering who knows about sacrifice, who knows about things 
that are hard, that hurt, that are painful. In a bet, you like me have known a few people who have chosen the route of indifference, who have decided that God is a figurehead, that Jesus is just this guy who kind of looks like a hippie from the 60s, that he is nothing more than a figurehead. But those of us who have a real relationship with our Lord and Savior, who have a relationship with God, we get to walk sometimes in confusion, but never alone. We are never alone. And our loved ones who die, he has them all. He has them safe in the palm of his hands because he never forgets. Amen. So after God finished addressing Job, he turned to Eliphaz, the Temanite, and said, I've had it with you and your two friends. I'm fed up. You haven't been honest either with me or about me, not the way my friend Job has. My friend Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer. He will not ask me to treat you as you deserve for talking nonsense about me and for not being honest with me as he has. So he asked them to sacrifice bulls and, and all kinds of other things, and they did it. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar did what God commanded, and God accepted Job's prayer. Amen. Job's prayer. It is Job who is asked to intercede for these three friends of his. It is Job with his disagreements, his questions, his frustrations, his anger, his dish-throwing relationship with God who is asked to do this because he has the relationship. He has it with God, not these three guys who are talking about what they don't really know about. God says, Job will not ask me to treat you as you deserve for talking nonsense for me. Now, I would not be a very good Bible teacher if I didn't point out that here in this last chapter, we are seeing one of those images that we constantly see in the Old Testament of the prefigure of Christ. We are seeing an intercessor who stands between God and those who have sinned. It is the imperfect image that we are presented over and over again of people trying to do what only Jesus can do for us. Amen. Job knows that he too needs someone. Did you know that? Back in chapter 31, in the very last speech of Job, he says this, if only... I had someone who would listen to me and try to see my side. That's Jesus. He was talking about Jesus. Someone to listen to me and see my side? Oh, yeah. God knew how much each one of us needs that, how we have to have that, because we're lonely here, and we need someone who will be on our side. So God blesses Job. He, he pours into his life all sorts of riches and, and children and re restores to Job much of what was taken from him. Not replace, because nothing can replace. And he lived another 140 years, lived to see his children and his grandchildren, four generations of them. And he died, an old man with a full life. This COVID thing leaves us all with whys. It leaves us all feeling lonely and kind of confused with all the information that you get. You get good information, you get bad information, you get lies, outright lies. 
you get some truth. You can't, it's, it's almost too much, but it is God who is shaking this world. I believe with all my heart. It is God who will restore us in whatever way he wishes to restore us. And it is those of us who will live through this in peace with trust when we have a relationship with the God who loved us so much that he gave his son. Amen. And God, and God's children said, Amen. <laughs> I'm going to do a closing prayer. I, do I have to do anything else? Is that it? <laughs> okay. I'm kind of an informal speaker, sorry. I'm, uh, I'm not a minister, you know. This is, this is, I'm a person who sits in the congregation just like you. So. Very good. <laughs> we want to take up an offering for you, Mary, after you get done. Oh, well, so. thank you. <laughs> I, you know what? I'd appreciate that. So how about I just pray to close this all out and then... You guys know what you're doing next, because i got no idea. I ask that you look down on this congregation that gathers faithfully on this Sunday morning in a world that is not what it was a year ago. We ask that you protect those that need your protection. We ask that you give peace and harmony to those that are struggling. We ask that you keep minds whole, that you protect those whose minds are, are fragile or broken and that you protect them and, and make sure that they know that you are a God that loves them. Use this time to bring children closer to you. And we ask that each one of us pray that we all have a relationship that develops with you and not a relationship of indifference and rote, but one of great love and great trust. In Jesus' name, we all pray.